Hello, it's Mike Olson, Director of Development for Stand Up for Kids Orange County and the host of Listen Up, the Stand Up for Kids podcast. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Joanna Demers, the Outreach Coordinator for Stand Up for Kids Orange County, and also a youth who went through our program. We're going to talk to her today about her journey and what's next. Hi, Joanna. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Hey, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself now? So uh, maybe where, where do you live and what do you do for work? Okay, so my name is Joanna Demers and I'm 27 years old and I live in Anaheim, California and I'm the outreach coordinator for Stand Up For Kids. Cool, and how long have you been in that role? I've been in this role for almost six months. And what, what do you do, what does that mean? What do you actually do in that, with that job? So I actually hit the streets. I go and I look for homeless youth and I hand out hygiene kits. I um, have a coworker who we are a team and we actually go three times a week and we try to hit different cities. We go to Irvine, Huntington Beach, Garden Grove, and we just try to look for anybody that is young and that wants help. Um, and we also do community outreach. You know, we call it churches, schools, um, places that we think that we would like to connect and maybe they would need our resources. So that's what I do. <laughs> cool. Is that an easy job? What's, uh, what's that, what's that like? It's definitely not an easy job. Um, the street outreach definitely does hit home sometimes and it is very hard to see somebody that needs help and most of the time they don't want it. Um, but if we are able to convince them and if we're able to get them in our program, that's a good day for us. Um, the community outreach definitely, um, you know, just calling and making sure that everybody knows what we're about and making sure that there's resources that we can offer. Sometimes that's difficult because sometimes people don't want to talk to us. They don't want to answer the phone. They think that we're trying to sell them something. So it's, it, everything has their ups and downs. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I know on some level that experience from my neck of the woods as director of development and trying to uh, get donations and support. So I, I feel you. Um, and you, I mean, obviously you, as, as was mentioned in the intro, so you were in our program actually, so you were a youth in our program. So you have a direct connection to the mission and the work that we do. So that's kind of what, what I want to kind of get into a little bit with you. Um, so if we can go in the way back machine, um, and just kind of talk about you a little bit, um, why don't you, why don't you tell us like, uh, where, where were you born and um, what, uh, what, are, what are the first couple, what, what's the early Le Joanna life kind of look like? <laughs> okay, so I was born in Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico. Um, I am the middle child. <laughs> um, I had a, a pretty, um, how do I say this? It was a very low income life in Mexico. Um, I remember my parents both had two jobs and they were never home. So my older sister, who was the earliest memory that I have was when I was like five years old. So my nine-year-old sister used to take care of me and my parents would be gone all the time. Um, it got to the point where, where I was living got very unsafe and my parents worried about us a lot. So my dad decided to move us to Arizona, the United States. 
And I think life there became more difficult because we didn't know the language. Um, I was miserable the first several years because I had a hard time learning the language. My parents both had two jobs each and we were always home alone. Um, at that time, my younger brother was born and not only did my sister have to take care of me, she had to take care of a baby and I had to help her as well. So it was definitely, my parents tried to give me the best that they, they could, um, but it was definitely not a, an ideal childhood, if that makes any sense. So, so in Tijuana, it's you and your older sister and your parents and they, they're trying to make ends meet. So that required them to work two jobs each and they're, mm -hmm. they're grinding basically trying to pay the bills. Yes, definitely. They were definitely grinding. Um, and I remember only seeing my mom on the weekends and then my dad, I remember seeing him maybe a couple times a week, like physically seeing him um a couple times a week and but when they did see us they were very they're very affectionate and very loving and they try to like squeeze all that attention that they didn't give us throughout the week in that very day mm -hmm. or that hour so definitely they definitely tried their best and what was uh what was the living situation um so like i think tijuana like uh makes <laughs> a thing um yeah. and maybe maybe my perception is not the way it was or maybe it is but could you share a little bit about what you what you remember from living there okay so i have a i want to say i have a good memory of how we lived we used to live in a two-bedroom apartment that um the apartments were really they were not really taken care of they were they were really bad. They, um, I remember the chip, uh, the paint was chipping off. I remember uh, my dad putting an extra uh, lock on the door because he didn't think we were safe when we were alone. Um, I remember, and this is a horrible memory that I have that one time the apartments caught on fire and um, they had a, an extra lock and my sister couldn't open it. And we were stuck and the kitchen was on fire. The kitchen and the living room, they were on fire. And thankfully the, the neighbors were able to come and help us get out, but it was, it was, it was really bad. It was the live-in situation. And after that, we had to go live with some family members because obviously they didn't have insurance and um, you know they still had to keep working, but that, that's one of the worst memories I have from living in Mexico that we almost, died in the fire so yeah okay. and it was because of the the kitchen or the electricity hadn't been checked and the wires it was just the apartments were falling apart so they de definitely did not keep up maintenance so that's why they caught on fire okay and there was a little bit of like your parents didn't feel wasn't it didn't feel like a safe environment either um no it it didn't um before we the before the fire my mom um the little time that she used to spend with us um she used to take us on walks throughout the apartment complex and when one day when we were seen when we were going on a walk we actually saw somebody um get shot and that person ended up dying so I remember my mom picking me up 
like a baby because I was a very small child um, and grabbing my sister by the hand and just running to our apartment running and like she ended up calling my dad my dad couldn't make it because he was in uh like at work and he was really far so he told my my mom to just barricade us in our bedroom and put furniture and just wait for us there and that's what we did hmm. that's what we did we, we ended up having to wait i don't know how long um i can't i like, as a kid you don't know the time but um i do remember that it was a while before my dad was able to go and um, he just, I remember him talking to my mom saying this wasn't safe anymore. There was always people getting their cars broken into. There was always like kids getting hurt or getting kidnapped. I remember seeing a baby get kidnapped. That's one of my last memories of Mexico. An infant, an infant got ripped away from their, like the mom's arms and the cops were chasing the woman that like took the baby. And my mom was freaking out. We were on the bus and she was like holding on tight to us and she was freaking out. And she like told me to not let go of her. She told my sister to not let go of her. But I remember that's one of my last memories that I have of Mexico. I remember that lady running and the baby had a blue onesie on and he, she had stole the baby from the mom. It was horrible. So my parents were definitely not they didn't want to raise us there anymore. It was a really, really bad um, area and it's Tijuana. So it's, everybody knows it's one of the top 10 world's um, most dangerous cities. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so then your parents get to a point where they've had enough or they fear for their family's lives and they needed mm -hmm. to make a change. Um, and they decided to go to Arizona. Um, yes. And that's, that's like 20 years ago, maybe it's like, yeah, I was 20. I believe it was 21, 22 years ago. Cause I was still very young. And, um, yeah, my dad left first. My dad came over here to the States first. Um, and then he sent somebody for us and we lived in Baltimore we lived in St. Louis and Wait. then where did you yes. live first? <laughs> we lived in Baltimore. So okay, so the first stop was Baltimore from the Tijuana. So that seems yes. pretty that's like as far away as you can get from Tijuana in the US. Yes. So what was the impetus for Baltimore? So my father, his older brother, um, lived there. And when my dad realized that the city was getting really more dangerous than, than um, what it was, he ended up calling a lot of his family members that lived in the States. And his brother was like, you know what? Um, why don't you just come here to Baltimore? I have my house and you guys can live in a room until you can get on your feet. And yeah, I'll help you out. So my uncle, um, he ended up helping my dad get over to Baltimore first. And then they were ever sent, they were able to send for us. So yeah, that's where I lived first in Baltimore. Was there um, any issues with the border at that point? You just drive across or how, what was that like? Um, it was really bad. Um, I remember we had to cross the border, like in the desert. Like snake And it was, um, yes, it was my mom, my older sister, myself, and a group of other people. And my mom 
ended up paying um, these, this, these two really nice guys to carry me most of the way because I was little, you know, I didn't want to walk for miles and miles and miles. So um, they, she ended up paying them and they were helping her take, like carry me, but it was like really bad. We got caught two times. I remember that I was really dehydrated and just, it was really, really bad. The second time that we were caught, my mom actually told my dad that um, she couldn't do it, that she couldn't do it and that she was fearing for our lives. She said that I was really dehydrated the last time that we tried to cross. Uh, my sister didn't want to walk anymore. And honestly, like after that, we lived in a hotel for a month at the border. And I'm not even going to lie to you, Michael, like I don't even know how we got here like specifically, I just know we drove in a car. So, so after the two tries, so after two tries over the, uh, through the desert, they kind of were like, okay, this is not a good idea. Like the girls are not gonna handle this. So I don't know, we were able to get in a car and we were able to cross normally. Okay, wow. Um, but yeah, so, you, so do you remember getting caught? Like, was it, was it the border, border agents, like with guns that like stop freeze at the middle of the night? Like, what was that like? Yes, it was, it was not in the middle of the night. It was actually in the middle of the day. And, um, I remember that the group that we were with, one of the guys was my dad's cousin and that guy, his job was to take care of us. So um, I remember when they yelled that the immigration was coming, I got pushed into a bush and a, a splinter actually got impaled into my forehead. And when you're in Mexico and you go to school, you hear these horrible stories, horrible stories about immigration officers. So obviously as a five-year-old, I'm thinking that they're gonna take my mom away from me and my sister. So I'm screaming, kicking, my sister's screaming and kicking. My mom's trying to make us calm down. Um, and then uh, a white officer started speaking Spanish to us. And he was like, hey, like, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm not gonna kill you. I'm not gonna take your mom away from you in Spanish, like clear, clear as day. And he actually took the splinter out and he wiped the blood off and he put, um, a band-aid on and he gave me a lollipop and then my mom was like why were you screaming and she was like I thought they were gonna kill you and take me away and it was just like just horrible she was like no like they're not gonna they're just gonna send us back to Mexico and yeah my we got put in um we actually got put in a jail cell and they were trying to take us away from my mom but my mom would not let go of us and she was like I will scream, I will kick, but you're not going to take my daughters away. And they didn't, they actually left us. So at five years old, I was sitting in a jail cell because we got caught by immigration. Um, that's when we ended up getting deported and we went to a hotel. My mom had enough money to pay for, I believe, a month. And that's when she told my dad, hey, like the girls cannot handle this. Like it's too much stress. Um, I was dehydrated. I was really sick at that time too. I was very weak um, and she didn't have enough money to take me to the doctor. So it, um, she was really scared for us. So my dad was like, okay, we got to come up with a new plan. And we stayed there for a month and we crossed in a car. I remember I got put in a car and then we came here to California 
and my godparents um, received us here. We stayed here for, I believe, a week, and then my mom showed up because they ended up separating us. And then we got on a plane and went to Baltimore. So they, so, they, yeah. they separated you to get you across in a, whatever, that was the best way to do it, to, to get you over? Yes, I, I don't know the logistics of it. Again, I was five years old, so nobody's gonna be explaining anything to a five-year-old, but I just remember that I got a little power pack, uh, backpack and they put toys in there and they told me to hold on to my sister's hand and not to let go of it. Um, I remember that I got put in a car and they told me to put my seatbelt on um, and then they gave us candy to make us like not be all nervous. Who gives candy to a five-year-old to not make them nervous? I don't know, but um, they gave me candy. I remember it was a Hershey's chocolate bar um, and they told me to relax and just talk to my sister and just have a conversation like any all day. Um, my under my sister obviously understood more than I did, and she was visibly nervous. Um, and we were able to get across. I don't know how long it took. I don't remember how long it took, but um, the lady that was driving us, because I remember it was a lady, she dropped us off as a, at a McDonald's, and my godfather and my godmother were waiting for us. So, wow. And then we stayed at we stayed at their house, which my godfather is my mom's brother. So obviously there's definitely there was definitely trust there. Um, and then I don't know if it was a week, but for me it felt like a week. I'm definitely definitely a mama's girl, and I definitely was a mama's girl when I was younger too. So um, for me it felt like an eternity. It probably was a couple of days that my mom showed up. So we were all together again. And this is in San Diego County somewhere. Yes, we ended up actually going to Buena Park. That's where their house is at, Buena Park. Yes, that's where my godparents live. So I ended up in Buena Park <laughs> in Orange County at five years old. So, and then I don't know how long it was after that, that we got put in on, on a plane. My godfather um, took us to the airport. He went to go seat us all the way in the plane. And then at the airport, we got off and my mom walked us all the way out. They told her not to look at the immigration officers. They told her not to make eye contact with them. And then we went on top of a parking structure and my dad was with his arms out waiting for us and crying because we hadn't seen him in months. That's crazy. Um, but yeah. you're able to get on a plane in that situation. So you had the documents somehow that got you on the plane and off the plane. Yes, we did. I don't know how that <laughs> worked out, but we did. And um, it was before 9-11. Um, so obviously the it was different. airport, yeah, it was very different. It was very different. So yeah, we were able to get on an airplane and my dad was waiting for us on top of a parking structure and it was I'll never forget that. I'll never forget his the look that he had in his face. So it was definitely a family reunion. <laughs> oh, that's heavy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a whatever. You know, I have a, a little girl who is almost three, and like just to like put myself in your dad's like place for five seconds is like, oh, can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. That's... Yeah, it's, it, I don't think it was a good feeling to be away from his family and 
and I was definitely very hard for him. But yeah, that's that's when we arrived at in Baltimore, and, and um, I believe again I was very young. I don't ha I didn't have any how to remember time, but um, we were there for I believe several months. We were living there, and they were gonna enroll us into the schools. They were, were gonna just try to build a life there, but um, the crime started kind of escalating. My dad noticed that the crime in Baltimore, you know, so obviously not the best place to um, have a have a family. So they started looking for another option. And um, my dad has a lot of family here in the States and so does my mother. So they just started calling people and um, one of his cousins told him to come to St. Louis. Missouri um, and we lived there and again I didn't know the language and I used to have a friend and we used to communicate by um, making like hand signals I remember her I don't remember her name but that's when we used to live in St. Louis and um, they decided that they didn't want to stay there because um, they were pregnant with my brother already so they started calling family again and my mom's brother was like, hey, I can get, um, my dad's name is Ernesto. I can get Ernesto a, a job here and just come and have your baby here and I'll help you guys out. So that's how we got to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, were you in school at all in Baltimore or St. Louis? No. Uh, so what were your days no. like? Your days were just hanging out with your mom at, at the house? Yeah, it was just hanging out with my sister and my mom. Um, and in St. Louis, I had made a friend. So we would go and play outside. It was like a small apartment complex. And my mom would sit outside because obviously you're in a new country. You don't trust anybody. So she would sit outside and she would watch us play. Um, my dad was working. I think he was doing roofing at the time. So um, he was gone during the day all the time. And yeah, we just would hang out. I would watch my friend go to school every day. And um, when she would come home from school, she would come and look for me and would go play and we would catch fireflies and just like all that type of stuff. So yeah. <laughs> but you're still like, you're still five or six and you can't speak English. And this is an English speaking person and mm -hmm. giggles and sign language. <laughs> yes. Yes, and we used to watch um, Clifford the Big Red Dog, the cartoon, and she would try to explain to me what was going on, um, and it was like a, just such a cool time. It was like a really, really cool time because she she was such a good um, friend to me and to my sister as well, and she would try to teach us stuff. Her mom um, had a family member that knew how to speak Spanish, so they were really good. They were really nice to my mom. It was just like a really good experience overall. Um, but yeah, it was a really good friendship. We used to just talk with signals and she would like point at something and like say its name and she would make me repeat it. And yeah, it was a really good time. It was, it was definitely, she was definitely a, a good girl, that, that girl. I, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but she was a good person. Okay, so then you get to Phoenix and it, so it sounds like you were in Phoenix for, for a big chunk of time after that. So you, you settled in Phoenix yeah. and that's where that's where life happened for quite a while? Yes, it definitely did. Um, that's where we got enrolled into school. Um, I started first grade there. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to speak English. I didn't know anything. 
So um, within six months, I believe I was speaking English because obviously you're little and you learn fast when you're little. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my little brother was born and yeah, that's how life went on for a while. My parents were able to rent a house. My dad was still working a lot. He was gone a lot of the time. Um, and my mom just took care of the three of us. So me and my sister would go to school, come back. My little brother was there already. <laughs> so um, yeah, and then they were able to rent an apartment. My dad had a good job, you know, he started working. Um, he had a day job and a, a night job as well. Um, and then the apartment got too small for us. And then we were, my dad was able to purchase a house. So all their hard work, they were able to purchase a house finally. I believe I was 10 when they were able to purchase a house. But obviously with the house, a mortgage payment comes and insurance and bills. So they both started working and they both started working a lot again. Um, and then again, they were rarely home. And um, it was like if we were in Mexico again, we was just three of us. So um, yeah, I, that's where I think I went down the road though. The wrong path when you know you're barely going into your teenage years and I feel like at that time you need the attention of your parents and when you don't have it you try to do whatever you can to get that attention so uh how, uh, how far apart was your brother how, how what's the age difference between you and your brother I'm eight years older than my brother eight years older than your brother okay got it so yeah it's a big gap and my my sister's five years older than I am. Okay, gotcha. Um, so yeah, so we're separated. <laughs> what was the uh, safety? Was it safe in Phoenix? Did you live in like? Did you feel safe at home, or what was the? What was that kind of feel? Um, I mean, it was the it was the United States, so obviously everybody's like, oh my God, the States are so, it's so peaceful and, and safe, you know, you can leave your door unlocked and you can, you know, your kids can play outside, but, you know, obviously being alone all the time, um, we weren't able to play outside as much as we wanted to. We had to stay inside the house and we had to help my mom with the little baby that we had to take care of. Um, that house, had a pool so we had to make sure that he didn't get out and god forbid drown and yeah it was definitely not a lot of kid activities was going on but i was definitely definitely safe and i definitely thought that that's how life was you know um and yeah okay um okay so then we we make some bad decisions or start getting into trouble something like that um do you remember um do you remember like a first incident or a thing or a something that like sticks out to you yeah so the okay so this is this let me paint you a picture right um my sister's obviously six uh five years older than i i am so when i was um 
11, she had met a guy, she was 16. She had met a guy that she fell head over heels for him. And she decided that she wanted to get married. Obviously, when you're 16, you can't get married. You need your parents to sign a paper to get married. And my parents are Hispanic. So they believe, you know, in their customs that a woman should marry very young, you know? So they signed the paper. But that marriage was a really bad and dark time for my sister. So they were really preoccupied with her. Um, her husband ended up being very abusive and very controlling. So while they were working two jobs, dealing with my sister, making sure that the baby was okay, I was a shadow. I was not in anyone's radar. I was very, um, I was able to get away with a lot. And one day in school, they, uh, my friends, um, they were like, hey, we're going to go somewhere after school. I don't remember where we we're going to go eat something. I was like, 11 or 12 and I called my mom and I told her that I had um uh I had to I had to stay after and um all the stuff they were dealing with my mom didn't pay any mind to it so she said yes and that's the first time I smoked weed that's the first time I smoked weed I um I smoked weed behind an alley out of an apple and that was my first encounter with drugs I was 11 years old did you feel cool I felt like I was on top of the world I'm not not gonna lie to you Michael like I felt like then my parents weren't paying attention to me I felt like I was like the cool sneaky kid that can get away with murder I felt like oh this is like my new thing my parents are never gonna know like it's just it was just, I was just on a different level of dumb, <laughs> but I felt very cool at the time. Okay. And all your friends were in the same boat with you. They were drinking the same Kool-Aid. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so yeah, that's pretty much, I felt really cool after that. <laughs> so you kept doing it because it was the thing to do. Yes. Um, I definitely kept smoking weed and um I found out that my window didn't lock properly and I um my sister was pregnant at the time so they were occupied with her trying to get her away from her abusive husband and just trying to go with that um my little brother was like four at the time or three um and he was getting sick all the time like to the point where he had to be hospitalized and I was just by myself all the time and I was able to crawl through my window and I was able to close the window from the outside and I would go to parties I would dress like if I was older and I would go to parties and I would drink and smoke weed and how do you find a party when you're 12 I had older friends and I had, I had high school friends at the time. I don't even know how I ended up with high school friends, but I did. <laughs> yeah, how do high school friends hang out with 12-year-olds? <laughs> well, I always wore makeup to school, so I looked older. And then we used to, like in Arizona, in the public schools, I don't know if it's so much here. My, my husband tells me that it's not really like a custom here, but um, in Arizona, you wear uniforms you have to wear uniforms. So I would just wear like a regular shirt on the, under my uniform and I would just take it off after school and I would wear um, 
like some jean shorts or like a skirt under whatever pants or shorts uh, like my mom had put me in that day and I would just take them off and I would look like a regular 15 year old or 16 year old yeah um so then presumably that was fun for a while and you were just Mm -hmm. having a good time with it um when did was there a is there a time where it went from good to not so good? My, you know, I don't know if you ever heard like, obviously, you know, the, the fun ends, right? Mine lasted years. Hmm. I was able to hide my, obviously my addiction to alcohol at that time because I had to drink every single weekend. And then it got to the point where I was sneaking my dad's beers um and it got to the point where I was sneaking his beers I had drugs on me which weed at the time and I was able to go to the backyard and smoke weed and nobody would notice because they would just be like oh the smell's coming from a neighbor or something and they weren't home so you come in you take a shower you make sure the the smoke um like smell is off of your body and you're good you know your parents are not paying attention to you so my stretch actually lasted until i was 21. Hmm. yes so from 11 years old they did not catch me until i was 21 years old that's interesting yes that's that's impressive maybe it's probably not the best word but it's um... definitely not the best word but it was impressive Um, well, so you probably don't know this about me, but I was, I don't know if I was 12, but I'm from Wisconsin. So Mm -hmm. in the winter, especially, there's not a whole lot to do in Wisconsin. So drinking, I mean, in the Midwest, I think in general, drinking and weed and other things is not uncommon. So um, what's interesting to me is I know a lot of people My, I mean, I got, I, I was drinking beer. I was still taking alcohol from my parents as a teenager too. Mm-hmm. You, I never smoked weed. Um, but I know plenty of people that did. Um, so I, 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 I've, I've snuck out when I was young, I put pillows in my bed to represent my body to make it look like it was still there like I did all that same I did all I did a lot of dumb stuff too um so I can definitely empathize with that um so it's it's interesting it's interesting to like that might sound like what you're telling what you're saying might sound like crazy and preposterous but it's it's normal for (laughs) certain demographics to do stuff like that and then I don't know. There do, there doesn't need to be like really harsh consequences to that necessarily. Like I think it's just being a kid on some level and like seeing what you can get away. No, with. definitely not. Yeah. Yeah, so. and I was able to get away with a lot more than what I should have. And my parents were strict. Hmm. When I tell you my parents were strict, I'm telling you I, I had a curfew. I had a bedtime. Um, I was not allowed to watch certain shows. 
I was not allowed to watch certain movies. I wasn't allowed to talk very respectful towards my parents. Um, you know, I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend until I was 18, like a lot of stuff that it's just like, how did I end up like this? Uh, I I really, I have a question. Your sister got to get married when she was 16, but you didn't get to have a boyfriend until you were 18. They changed the rule. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was saying too. They changed the rules after her little, um, shenanigans when, when, through, you know, and they were like, oh, we got to change the rules because we let her have a boyfriend at 16. She ended up getting married and he turned out to be very abusive. We don't want this to happen to her as well. That makes sense. So they actually did. Yeah, they changed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they changed the rules. Um, And so I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend until I was 18, but I wasn't occupied with having a boyfriend. I was out having fun you know what I thought what my concept of fun was was getting drunk and smoking weed and um my smoking smoking weed and drinking turned very fast into meth it turned extremely fast I don't even think I realized how fast until I'm talking about it now as a person that's sober I don't think I never really thought about how fast I turned from drinking to smoking weed to smoking and injecting crystal meth. So um, I know who offered it to me and I know why they offered it to me. And I just, I, there's sometimes I do wish that I can go back and be like, no, I don't want any, but I didn't, you know, so I can't live in the what ifs and uh, um, yeah. So, um, So I want to just, so your parents are very strict and they, you know, they're trying to be good parents and keep you out of trouble and keep you on the straight and narrow. And as far as they know, they are doing that, correct? Mm -hmm. They just, you were really good at being deceptive and Mm -hmm. taping and sneaking out and they trusted you that you were doing what you said you were doing um so there's a little bit of like living a double life uh yeah the prim and proper mode and then the (laughs) other mode um which which again i think everybody has that in some way shape or form like Mm -hmm. like i don't know like movies like gory movies you don't watch don't necessarily watch gory movies with your parents because or whatever the thing is you you should you censor yourself to some level with everybody you hang out with uh, and so you're yes. not with your parents just on a really um in a major way I guess you could say yeah yeah definitely a major way and definitely um I wasn't getting caught so I was like this is working um okay so then you said until so two things you said two things one was that you were on the ride pretty your the ride was going well until you were 21 and then you also said meth snuck up on you or caught up to you or surprised you so does that did both of those things happen at 21 uh no i started doing meth when i was 13 13 okay yes so and so meth didn't have any adverse uh, adverse um until 21 either so you were riding that train uh, fine? 
so the meth came and I, again, um, somebody, okay, so somebody was smoking it in front of me and I would see that person smoke it all the time at parties. And then um, I don't want to say that I started dating him, but we became like a thing. Um, and he would sell drugs and I would see him get high. And, and obviously um, he was older than I am. And I was lying and saying that I was older. So he was like, oh, I don't want my girlfriend to smoke meth. And I was like, first of all, I'm not your girlfriend. Um, I just want to try it out, you know, because. I just want to, everybody's doing it. So I just want to try it out because I want to, I still want to be the cool kid. And it was me nagging and nagging, like me nagging, trying to do math. But it was one day where he was like, okay, here you go. You can try it. And I tried it and it was an every single weekend thing where I would smoke meth. And smoking meth, you don't really notice somebody smoking meth in the beginning because all they want to do is sleep and my parents are gone all the time. So I'm sleeping all the time when I'm not getting high during the, the, the week. And in the weekend, I'm like up and just up, <laughs> you know, but they would work and I would not be at home. And my sister was oblivious. She was back at home and my little brother was a little kid. So he didn't realize what was going on. And um, I think that I was able to hide it because my parents would never believe that I would do anything bad. So they had this perception of me where she's a really good girl um, and she's not gonna do anything bad. But I was like horrible. I was doing horrible in school. I could not pass like any, like I couldn't like, get anything above a D like I was just barely passing by like a hair um so they weren't calling my parents and every report card I would like hide it or forge their signature um I was saying that I was like I had after school activities but I was smoking weed and drinking like on, on a freaking alley with like a bunch of people and um they had this idea of me being a really good kid and I wasn't I really wasn't a good kid so, um, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to put my hat on again and my parenting hat. And uh, um, what you're saying is like scary as a parent to be like, all right, I got a kiddo. Um, I want the best for them. I'm going to lay down some rules and try to raise a good kid, set the table. I'm going to, you know, try to do everything I can to make sure things go well and they're successful and uh, they got a bedtime and they eat right and get get good. The grades thing I will be, I will be pretty diligent about, I think. So trying to think like, all right, would you have fooled me if I was your dad? Is kind of what like, it makes me think. And I would like yeah. to know, but what to say. Um, yeah. I feel like like parent teacher conferences might be a a situation where you could get busted. Well, my parents didn't know how to speak English. Mm. You gotta remember that. My parents didn't know how to speak English. So they, they could come to a teacher conference and the teacher can be very like disappointed and all that, but I can tell them whatever I want because I'm the one who's translating. I had tricks for everything, Michael. 
tricks for everything. Well, and just the fact that and, they they uh, they had to work a lot to pay the bills. Yeah. And and, and yes. there's so many like your sister and then your little brother and they had so many things to keep them occupied. Yeah. And then it got to the point where, I mean, obviously I'm not going to lie to you and say, oh, the middle, uh, middle child syndrome doesn't exist. It does exist. And I felt a lot of it. I felt like I wasn't getting attention. I felt like my parents didn't love me. Like they loved their firstborn and their only boy. And in a Hispanic family, the, the, the boy is very important, you know, to have that boy. So um, I felt like I was out of place most of my childhood um and I feel like it caught up to me and I felt obviously obviously I do believe that addiction and alcoholism is a disease because it does run in both sides of my family but, but again we're Hispanic so that doesn't exist mental health problems don't exist you know you drink too much oh well only guys should do that or if you drink too much just stop drinking um and that didn't work for me. That didn't work for me. And um, I feel like sometimes I was trying to get back on my parents for not paying attention to me. But it wasn't that it was I had a full blown addiction to drugs and alcohol. And it's a disease that I discovered the first time I smoked weed. So I was, it was I think it was definitely um it runs in my family so it was like gonna happen at some point if i ever did weed or something like that you know so i don't know i just i like to think like that <laughs> sometimes when i you know feel really bad about the stuff i did so yeah okay so then you you said the train you rode the train really nicely until you were 21 so yes. can you go like what what happened at 21? So at 21, let me just paint you a picture. At 21, I was divorced already. Um, I had to come back home. Um, I had already run away once. Um, I got married when I was 18, divorced by the time I was 19. Um, ran away when I was 19. Um, came back. I tried to finish school because I had dropped out of high school. Um, and I started working and, um, you know, my parents were very disappointed that I dropped out of school and I started getting these really odd jobs and really bad jobs. And I ended up getting a job. I don't know what you guys call them here, but they, they are always busting them. They're called gambling cafes. I don't know if you ever heard of them. I can picture what that might be, but I... I don't really get it. Yeah, they just did a raid um, here in Garden Grove. They just caught a location, but it's these, um, it's like a club, not like a club, but it's like a computer cafe. But in the computers, they have casino games and those are illegal. So those places usually have drugs involved. There's usually a bunch of people like that have been up for days that are on meth and a lot of people that are on heroin, naughty now on the computer. So I used to work in one of those and I used to have the night shift. So. And, sorry, question for you. Uh, and and mm -hmm. do they, uh, they actually pay out? Like if you, you give, 
you give the you give Joanna money and she gives you some chips to put into your computer account and then if you have when you cash out then Joanna gives you money and then you leave is that right okay. yes it pays out like a regular casino but you're we're uh, essentially you're stealing from the from the tribes which are where the casinos are usually at yeah so that's illegal that's not okay for you to do so they would like, i would be like in this office and i would have a computer system and they would give me money and they would be like oh can you put um twenty dollars on this computer and i'd be like yeah let me look up your name mm -hmm. so i would like look up their name put money on their charge their 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 computer and they would just like play and they would just be there all day just putting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and then when people would win i used to have a tip jar and there would be tips in there and i used to make really good tips actually and um, yeah, I worked there for a long time and then one of them got raided and then the, the owner of the place that got raided opened another one. So I worked at another one and my addiction, my drug addiction was spiraling out of control. It was just, I was getting high every single night because I used to work in the night and I used to sleep all day so my parents wouldn't notice. So I was getting high every single night and I was working at the cafes. So I was making my money and I, you know, I had my car um, and I just went downhill from there. Uh, I really did. So you, Go ahead, sorry. You, uh, you said you made it till 21, like really smooth, but then you mentioned that you got married and divorced at 18, 19. Uh, <laughs> So that seems like a pretty i don't know where marriage fits in like the scope of big things in life but that's like a pretty big thing well my parents were like get married my parents were i was 18 you know again let's go back to the whole culture thing and you know um my parents are older they're almost in their 60s so they're they're very much um set in their the old-fashioned culture you know and um my mom told me one day she was like you need to get married you need to get married soon you're getting older and i was like i'm 18 i just turned 18 but i had met a guy and he was older than me he was like a couple older a couple years older than me and my parents had met him they liked him um blah 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 and he was like hey you want to get married just out of nowhere and i was like sure and but i saw it as my parents saw it as like oh she, finally she's gonna get married you know um i saw it as oh i get to do drugs whenever i want to because i get to be in my own home away from my parents and i get to get high whenever i i feel like it and i don't have to sneak around anymore i can just be me and do what i want to do yeah so pretty much but what i didn't know and what i didn't know at the time was that my then husband was going to turn into a very abusive person and he was gonna sell drugs on the side. He was gonna get to the point of physically abusing me. And it was just a really bad marriage. It was a horrible time in my life where I used, I constantly used and my using got even, I used even more, but it was him coming home and beating me up. And um, it was just a really, really bad time in my life. I used to work. I was trying to go back to school and he was very controlling. He was very abusive and 
it was just it was just horrible. It was a horrible time. So I, that that's when I think that my using became even worse. And it got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm done. Like, I'm not like my parents never hit me in their life. Like, I'm not going to let this guy hit me. Um, and I left. Like, I was like, I'm gone. And my dad was like, oh, my God, you can't leave your husband. Oh, my God, what are people going to say? You're going to be divorced. Oh, my God. You know, like, and I was like, I don't care. I was like, I finally told him, I was like, he's hitting me. And my dad was like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me? Blah, 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 and this and that. And I was getting high. So that's why I didn't tell them. I prefer my drugs than actually getting out of an abusive relationship and going back to my parents. Mm, yeah. So that's how bad my drug addiction was at that point, that I preferred drugs over my own safety. Um, so... I ended up getting divorced. Um, it was super quick because we didn't have, I think we had a car under both of our names. And I was like, you know what? You can keep the car. I don't want the car. Um, the house that we had was under his name. My dad was like, fight for it. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Um, and I just called it a day. And that was like probably one of the worst years. One of the few worst years of my life. <laughs> and that was like, that was like a one year. That was 18 to 19 and all that. Yes. And then did you, yes, move back, you move back in with your parents then after that? Mm-hmm. Um, so if I put my dad hat back on and my daughter tells me that her husband is, I'm going to want to kill that guy. Yes. Um, my, parents, my parents actually wanted to like press charges and, um, you know, my dad wanted to beat him up. Him and my then brother-in-law wanted to beat him up. And I was like, why? Like, he's a little man. Like, he has this little man complex. Just let him be, you know? Um, I was just over it. I just wanted to go home and get my routine going up again. So I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to get my routine of using up again. That was my problem. So um, they wanted to do, like, a bunch of stuff to him. And I was just not cooperating so they couldn't you know they couldn't press charges they couldn't beat him up they just couldn't do anything so my dad wanted to kill him at some point I was like you need to relax broski like calm down uh, but so they didn't know they still didn't know anything about drugs though even through that situation nope they were not aware and my ex-husband tried to tell my dad that I was using drugs but my dad was like no she's not and I was like no I'm not and I was like, even like, I, I remember even telling them, like, you can drug test me. Like, I'm not on drugs. Knowing them well that I was like high in the moment. So, um, yeah, I was, it was definitely getting to a point where it was really bad. Okay. And then, uh, then the gaming venue comes into play and you're surrounding yourself with a bad crowd once again. Um, yes. So does, is there, what happens from there? This is the end of part one of the Joanna podcast. Uh, stay tuned next week for the part two and the conclusion. Thank you for listening today to Listen Up, the Stand Up For Kids podcast. A big thank you to Gabby Villarreal and Billy Huynh for their production and editing support. Please like this video and subscribe to our channel. Click here to watch more. Please also consider a donation to help getting kids off the streets using the link below. 92 cents out of every dollar donated goes directly to supporting these kids. 
I'm your host, Michael Olson, Director of Development at Stand Up For Kids Orange County. Thanks for listening and have a great day.